are you all doing? Right. right, I've said Happy New Year, which means I don't have to say it to you all individually. <laughs> I've done it, I've done it, ticks off my list. Excellent, uh, it's great to be here. Um, just before we start, I wonder if you've ever had that weird experience of going to the ATM and when you get there it says insufficient funds. <laughs> not much fun, is it? And I'm um, sorry, it's not the very clearest picture, is it? Oh no, it's all right, it's just there, it's not very clear. And, um, uh, but also, imagine if you had unlimited funds, but you kind of didn't access it. That's no fun either as well. So just have that in the back of your mind, because we miss out entirely if we don't understand who we are in Christ, if we don't understand our identity or our position or our calling. Uh, Understanding who we are and to whom we belong um, kind of deals with all sorts of stuff. If we understand it, it deals with fear, it deals with anxiety, it deals with, um, uh, you know, what the world calls imposter syndrome, it deals with worry, with concern, and our daily struggles. I'm not saying those things don't exist, those things I know exist, but knowing who we are helps us focus uh, who we are in Christ. So um, today we start a mini-series on, um, uh, on who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. So over the next seven weeks or so, we're going to look at who we are as the people of God and how we can live out of that. Because identity in Christ is a phrase that we all know, but how do we live out of our identity? In John 10.10, 10, it says this, Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus hasn't come to give you half a life. Accepting Jesus as your saviour is actually just the start of an incredible adventure. It's not the end. It's not like you've arrived and you've become a Christian at that point when you prayed the prayer or you've made a commitment. That is the start of an incredible adventure. Letting go of what society tells you is essential and stepping into the Jesus way of thinking uh, and understanding who you are. That's real freedom. Understanding who you are in Christ is real freedom and that's life in all of its fullness. The difficulty is, of course, is that we can all get robbed of our joy and our identity. We buy into the values of comparison. You know, we, we compare ourselves to one another. We allow thoughts to go into our head and we get shaped by society's values and not the truth which God gives us in his word. Therefore, we have a responsibility to remind ourselves and to encourage one another continually to live by what God says. We're required to read scripture. It's part of our daily discipline, if you like. But it's not just to like, it's not for education. Reading scripture isn't to inform you. It is to form you. Reading scripture needs to shape who you are as a person. It's living, it's breathing, it brings life when you read it. Uh, we're all called to point one another and actually all of society to Jesus. 
And there are numerous aspects to our identity in Christ, and we're going to cover that over the next few weeks. But today we're specifically looking at uh, Called and Chosen. The title is there for you. Uh, and we're going to be focused this morning on Ephesians 1. So I'm going to read that to you. There's a slide coming up with a gazillion words on it. You might want to look it up on your phone on your in your bible if you've got it but i'm going to start at verse three and as i read it i just want the holy spirit just to really minister to you begin to pick lines in this because this is a full of truth this passage and allow the holy spirit just to really really highlight things for you the truth of who you are in christ paul writes and he says praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan, who works at, a plan of him who works out everything in, in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Incredible words, aren't they? That's who you are. In just these few verses, Paul is basically pouring out a heart of worship. He's writing and he's praising God and he declares incredible truths about who God is but also about who we are as a result of what God has done. In fact, the key throughout these verses is that there is nothing that we have done in and of ourselves. It's because everything that God has done. Verse 4 lays it out for us. It says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight simply means that he chose us before the in the beginning of Genesis 1. You know, in, it starts in Genesis 1. It starts with in the beginning. Before that, before anything, before God said, let there be light, he chose you. And he chose you because he wanted you. You've not been chosen, as I say, and I'm going to keep saying it, because of anything you've done. He chose you because in verse 5 it tells us, it's because he loves you. And it isn't actually any more complicated than that. His choosing of you is based on his love for you. 
His love for you, wait for this, is relentless. It is powerful. It is all-consuming. And it is such that he would send his son Jesus to die for you. And you know what? There's nothing you can do to, to stop God from loving you. Nothing at all. I mean, if you are sitting there this morning going, oh, no, God's not going to love me. You've got to be bigger than God for God to stop loving you. And none of us are bigger than God. His love for you is that incredible. There is nothing you can do to stop him. These verses also speak about adoption. I'm not going to cover adoption because I've spoken about that quite recently and at length. But I am going to speak about one aspect of adoption. As many of you know here, Tim and I adopted uh, two sons at 17, 18 years ago, a long time ago now. And um, in the day that we did it, which was now old school, that once you were approved, they, the social workers would send to you a weekly magazine. And in the magazine would be um, pictures of little children, very cute pictures with a little standard bio, people looking for their forever families. And basically, Tim and I could go through this magazine and have a flick through and go, oh, like him, like her. And you could basically pick like that. And we didn't know how we were going to do this or what was going to happen. Obviously, we were praying, but, like, you know, nothing was kind of sticking. Until one day, the social worker actually showed us a photo of the two boys that became our boys. And as we saw that photo, we both knew that they were our boys. We just knew it. It was like something inside of us. Like, oh, no, they're our boys. In fact, we took it, we got their picture, we cut it out, we stuck it, we had it up. We, they were our boys. But... The process for adoption is quite complicated. And there are numerous people waiting to adopt children. And uh, so the boy social worker, who didn't know us at all, based up north somewhere, she had numerous couples to choose from. And she went through, well, I asked her when I met her, how did you choose us in the end? Because I knew she had a lot of couples. And, uh, and she went, I went through all the paperwork, couldn't decide. Everybody was qualified to be their parents. And so in the end, she goes, I took all of your photographs and I put them on my desk and your photo jumped out. It's the picture that Tim and I sent in because it's a really cheesy picture. But anyway, um, that was the picture that jumped out. Now, she's not even a Christian, but I think the Holy Spirit was at work and did something quite wonderful in that moment. We, um, the boys didn't choose us. They were far too young. Decisions were being made about them that they had no influence in. But we entered into a relationship with them. And although raising children is never easy, I'd like to say that we've done it now. They're past 18. But, you know, I'm sure they're still going to come at us. But we have done it to some extent. But today, they choose us. <coughs> Why? Because of the relationship. They know that they are loved. It's simple as that. They, they've walked into this relationship with us. Not always easy, not always straightforward, but they know that they are loved. God chooses you, and you're called to choose him. God gives you free will, and you can do precisely what you would like to do. But my encouragement to you this morning would always be lean into his love. Experience his love for you. And as you experience that, you are transformed. You have to be. And then you can love others as a result of knowing his love. 
But as we go on into this passage, it reveals even more about our statuses. Status, sorry. Not just ones who are chosen, but we're also included. Verse 13 says this. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. If we believe in Jesus Christ, then we are included. Every single person here, we are family together. So when you, just for an example, because I know that we battle with thoughts, but if you walked in here this morning and you're like, oh, I don't really belong. My face doesn't fit. Oh, you know, I'm just going to say right now, that is a lie from the pit. I've already told you there's nothing that you can do that can stop God from loving you. You belong. And actually, by not what that leads to, when you say, oh, I don't really fit, oh, I'll just not come anymore, that leads to you being isolated and just being taken out of the game and not being part of God's mission. And also, you deprive us of being in relationship with you. So if you hear that lie through the week or on Sunday morning or when you're trying to get up and get to church, that is from the pit. If you remember nothing else, go, no, no, no. I need to come and be with my brothers and my sisters. I need to come to worship Jesus, to be encouraged and to be an encouragement to others. But actually, I'm being really honest about that because that's, that's something that, you know, it's a struggle for all of us. I've been a Christian like forever, literally forever. I've been a Christian way longer than I wasn't a Christian. And I know that's something that's still a battle for me. Some of you know that I'm currently doing some study. And my, um, my fellow classmates, they are, there's about 25, 30 of them. Uh, they're all men, except for one other girl. Uh, and on my first, they're, they're all Anglicans. They're all like, they're, I mean, except for a couple of Baptists in there. There might be one, yeah, a couple of Baptists, mostly Anglican. And uh, I remember on the first day being really excited to go, a uh, little bit disappointed that there were way too many men in the room, sorry men. And, um, and then we all had to introduce ourselves. And as we went around, everybody was sort of saying what they did and their roles within the Anglican church. And I realized quite quickly that there were some bishops and quite important people and people that did this and people that did that. And, and I'm like, oh my word. And on day two, I went along and I'm like, I didn't even feel like I could be in the room with these important people. And the battle that was in my head, like, I mean, like, you know, they all go to, like, proper-looking churches. I come to a building that looks like a school. (laughs) They all dress up for Sunday morning. I preach in jeans. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, they've got organs. We've got a keyboard. It it was like I I was beginning to feel a little bit second-class in my faith, except for the fact But the truth is that actually not one of those people has ever treated me any differently. That's the first thing I need to say. The Anglicans are very kind to me. But the truth is that we worship Jesus. There is only one Jesus. We might express our worship of Jesus differently, but there is only one God. And uh, they've been very loving and very kind towards me. But actually, I had to, I had to really, I was like, no, don't listen to that lie. You belong. I mean, like, I had to be interviewed for all of this. There was stuff that went on before I started this study. And so I know that it wasn't an accident that I was there, but I had to work it through in my head. And I'm sharing that because I know that's a reality for many people, even for turning up to church or Alpha or a small group or any of those things where you are encouraged. We all know that we are saved because of our faith in him. But we're also called 
Jesus left us with a commission to make disciples. That's all of us at Gateway, not just the extrovert people. We all have a mandate to reach Ashford and beyond with the truth of the gospel. So I know that, you know, we've heard from Peter this morning, who's out in Guatemala. And, um, but some of us will, will be called to go to the nations. Some of us here will not be in Ashford forever. We understand that. But for many of us who are in Ashford, this is where we are called. We've been saved from sin for purpose. As I said, salvation is not the end, it's the start. It's a new way of living, the best way of living. So what are, what are we called to? So I've just got a slide of just the things that we're called to. So we are called to love God. We are called to love one another. We are called to make disciples. We are called to serve the poor. We are called to speak up against injustice. We are called to lead. We are called to include. We are called to pray for the sick. And actually, to be fair, I could have done lots and lots of slides, and I could have given you heaps and heaps of scripture, but I was trying to be neat and tidy and a little bit arty. So you just got the one. But that is enough to, to begin to form you, even if you were to look all of those up and study all of those. We're called to shape society. Our identity does not rest on what we do or our achievements. It rests entirely on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And we're included because of his death and resurrection. And we've entered into an entirely different way of living as a result. Understanding who we are in Christ affects every relationship and it affects all of our motives. It affects every aspect of life. It will impact your behavior and how you serve one another. As a church, as I said, we're called to this community. You are called to your neighborhood, to your street. You are called to your workplaces, to your schools, your colleges, your businesses, your factories, your hospitals, surgeries, your coffee mornings, your cafes, clubs, and societies. Wherever you gather, in those spaces, in all of the spaces, you will exercise grace and love because you have been shown grace and love. Now, as I come to the end of what I've got to say, I'm going to invite, I'm going to ask you guys to close, in, well, we're going to close your eyes and we're going to have a moment to reflect. Um, let me just explain what we're going to do in this moment. There's some of you here in the room that have never understood that you are called or chosen. You, know, you don't have a room this size of people in, and I don't know everybody in this room, who don't know that you're called or chosen. You've never understood who Jesus is. While some of us are reflecting with their eyes closed, I'm speaking directly to you. Because if this morning you want to know what it is to be called and chosen by God, the one who knew you before you were even born, the one who loves you with this relentless, all-powerful love, if you want to know him today, then you can. And so during the time when we've got our eyes closed, I'm actually going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than that but just to raise your hand and say, actually, I want to respond. I don't understand, and you don't have to understand, but it is the, the start of something. It's an acknowledgement. And raising your hand is just a start. And then afterwards, I'll come and chat to you, and we'll, we'll I'll help you move on uh, with your relationship with God. But this is a holy moment. This is a profound moment for all of us. We're all taking part in this moment together. So can I invite you to close your eyes? Just rest in God.
remind yourself that you are called, you're chosen before the beginning of the world. You are the apple of God's eye. He chose you. And while everybody has their eyes closed, if you do want to respond and say, I want to know, would you put your hand up? Thank you.